Welcome to The Rot Focus, a podcast for rotters, newbies, and veterans, and everyone in between. We're hosted by M.A. Lee with the assistance of Remy Black and Edie Rooms, all from Rotters Inc. Books. Our focus is productivity, process, craft, and tools. Each episode lasts as long as it takes to fix a quick dinner, grab a short commute, or take a brisk walk. Resources and links are in the show notes. Visit us at therockfocus.blogspot.com. Now, on to this week's episode. We've almost finished our Discovering Character series. In the last episode, we presented how characters can be developed to reveal their growth or decline or their alterations. In this episode, we present the dark side of characters, the transgressions. Only a couple of episodes in this series remain. Then we're off on a summer challenge. For now, on with the episode. Transgressions. Let's begin with Aristotle's tragic hero. Almost all tragedies from classical antiquity to postmodern absurdism, still follow many elements of the Greek philosopher Aristotle's view of the tragic protagonist. First, the protagonist should be someone set above everyone else. In ancient times, this was achieved by making the protagonist a noble personage, a king like Oedipus, or the great warrior Achilles. The foreign Medea was not only royal and married to royalty, but she was a foreigner and a sorceress. Medea's only one of two sorceresses in Greek mythology. The other is Circe. In modern times, the protagonist is often set above by his pursuit of something that other people do not see a value in or pursuit of something that others do not want. That something is viewed by the protagonist as a noble cause, a necessity that elevates life. Shakespeare's Hamlet wants the murderer Claudius off the throne, but he kills more people than Claudius does to achieve that goal. Romeo and Juliet, pathetic, tragic protagonist, so-called pathetic because they did not bring about their own doom, time caused their tragic deaths. Anyway, Romeo and Juliet fell in love with their enemy. Who else would do that? Modern tragedies like The Crucible, with John Proctor the only person concerned about his name, maintain that apartness in different ways. A second element of Aristotle's tragedy is the protagonist isolation. Even as the protagonist is part of a core group, he or she steps away from the group. Medea is isolated by her husband's abandonment and King Creon's wish to exile her. Hamlet isolates himself even from his best friend Horatio and from his love Ophelia. John Proctor no longer attends the weekly services of his church and cannot even recall all of the Ten Commandments, part of the catechism he had to learn when young. Proctor's sole miss in the commandments was the very commandment that he broke. The protagonist will cause his own downfall through an act that he takes. The sin that will cause the fall is his or her own. This is the tragic flaw. While traveling, Oedipus kills a threatening stranger. When he enters a city that is missing its king, 
He becomes king and marries the queen. Years later, he discovers that stranger was the king and his father. Oops. Romeo killed Tybalt, and Juliet drank a death-like sleep potion. Naturally, they set themselves up for tragedy. Proctor had sex, then rejected the leader of the girls, accusing others of being witches. What did he think she would do when she realized she had so much power? Make a way back into his bed that would be legal. How did he not anticipate that? The fourth element of Aristotle's tragic hero is to offer up sympathy for the tragic protagonist by showing that the punishment exceeds the crime. Oedipus's wife and his mother hangs herself. He puts out his eyes. The city exiles him. Off he goes, a-wandering with only a daughter to guide him. Brutus of Shakespeare's Julius Caesar wanted to stop a tyrant and restore the Republic of Rome. He only stabbed once. The other senators were the ones who got carried away. The Republic he wanted to restore descends into civil war. He commits suicide, and the Republic is totally dissolved into an empire. Nora, in the dollhouse, wanted a loving marriage, a partnership, only to discover that her husband wanted a sex doll. She abandons her home and children and husband, and without any means of support for herself, we can only guess at the life she will live. Aristotle's fifth element was illumination, as the tragic protagonist is reconciled to his fate. When Jason destroys the family unit in hopes of becoming heir to the throne of Corinth, Medea destroys their genetic cross-matching by killing her children with Jason. She grieves for what she has done, but she does not regret doing it. She is now no longer connected with that vile man, two-legged dog that she calls him. Macbeth realizes that everything he has done is signifying nothing. Nora knows that she, at the very least, will have autonomy in her choices no longer spiraling around and around in a frenetic tarantella of another person's dictates. Here are some examples of Aristotle's tragic hero put into place. Macbeth is an easier and accepted tragic protagonist. At the beginning of the play, he is celebrated by his relative King Duncan for his battlefield prowess and rewarded with an additional title, which elevates his standing rank, and wealth. Ambition drives him to kill Duncan, breaking three moral laws, killing his kin, for King Duncan was his cousin, killing his king, and killing a guest in his house. He murders two more men so they will be blamed for the murder. When the king's sons flee, fearing their own death, he ensures that they are suspected of their father's death. The only person who might know Macbeth killed the king is Macbeth's best friend, Banquo. Macbeth has an additional reason to want Banquo gone. A prophecy says that his descendants will become kings after Macbeth. The first is an accurate suspicion. The second introduces Macbeth's growing paranoia. For would it matter who becomes king after Macbeth is gone? Macbeth hires murderers to wipe out Banquo's line killing him and his son. We even speculate that Macbeth himself goes to participate in the murders. Banquo's son escapes, though. That's not Macbeth's mistake, though. This is, while at a banquet, 
he sees Banquo's ghost. His reaction raises suspicions among the court that something is rotten in the state of Scotland, to take a phrase from Hamlet and change it for Macbeth. Sleep deprivation hastens his mental decay. He begins killing anyone he suspects as well as innocent family members. Shakespeare gives as proof the deaths of Lady Macbeth, her son, and her baby. The rebellion grows. Macbeth's downfall is complete when he displays no emotion, only a personal nihilism on hearing of his wife's death. This is his illumination. With a rebel army against him and followers flocking away from him, he continues to fight. Modern and postmodern tragedies have peers or society drive the protagonist into a downward spiral rather than having the protagonist create his own doom. Close examination, though, unveils the protagonist's role in that doom, and each also meets the five elements of Aristotle's tragic hero. The Bookshop, a film based on the work by Penelope Fitzgerald, presents a modern example of the social pushes that destroy a person. The war widow Florence Green opens a bookshop because no one is ever alone in a bookshop. She wishes to avoid isolation. She has a noble goal that sets her apart. The dream she turns into reality clashes with the local society matron. Mrs. Gammert talks of opening an art center, although she's never taken one step to do so. Mrs. Green purchases and repairs the property for her home and bookshop, brings in young workers, local sea scouts, and a girl to help in the shop, purchases stock, and opens the bookshop. Using the young workers sets her up for the second part of her fall. The first part is her inability to find a compromise so that everyone can benefit. She has succeeded in her goal. Or has she? Mrs. Gammert forces through legislation that makes the building unavailable for Mrs. Green's use. One by one, Mrs. Gammert forces members of the community to abandon the bookshop and Mrs. Green. The climatic abandonment occurs when Mrs. Green's staunchest supporter dies after confronting Mrs. Gammert, who then lies about their confrontation. Legal representatives in the bank then complete Mrs. Green's downfall, taking not only the bookshop but also her home, leaving her bankrupt financially and emotionally. She has lost any social standing, community support, friendship through coercion and death, her home, and even her purpose. This punishment truly exceeds any wrongdoing on her part. Does Mrs. Green achieve illumination? Perhaps. When she looks back and sees the burning building that was her bookshop, burned by the girl she had hired who wants justice, and we the audience see the ongoing justice for the girl opens her own bookshop in her later years. The protagonist is not the only character who can be a tragic hero. As writers, we can have our protagonist achieve dreams while other characters spiral downward into tragedy. To increase the weight of the doom, however, have the protagonist and another sympathetic character both fall into the doom. The key element for any tragic regression is isolation, whether the character is forced into it by outside forces are compelled by inward drives. Ophelia of Hamlet is an excellent example of a tragic and sympathetic character. First, she loses Hamlet's love, isolating her from the relationship she had dreamed of. 
Second, she loses her father, murdered by her love, and her brother is far from Denmark, living it up in Paris. Third, she loses any protection she might have had from Queen Gertrude, who goes into retreat, just as Hamlet urged her to do. This may lead to her being sexually preyed upon, as is revealed in her song snippets of Act 4. Finally, Ophelia isolates herself by running away from any caregivers and then drowns. Transgressions through Sevens Commission of Evil isolates many characters. Antagonists should be isolated. In their arrogance, most cannot view others as equals. Underlings will create a group around themselves, all controlled by the antagonist, and they operate with an us-versus-them mentality. The seven deadly sins are key elements that create isolation. Arrogance and avarice are easily perceived as isolators, as those infected are unable to open up and share with others or show compassion for others, the dual reason that many motives for murder fall under these two sins. Thirst for power is both pride and greed. The other five sins are born out of these two. Lust objectifies the other person. Lust wants for the self, which places the self over the other and greedily wishes to devour to keep others from getting. Wrath occurs when pride is wounded. Envy is wanting what someone has because you think it should belong to you. That's pride again. They have it. You want it because you deserve it without having to go through everything they did to have it. Sloth and gluttony seem to have no basis in pride and greed. Sloth is laziness, the belief that you need do nothing, for eventually others will do it for you. See the pride? Gluttony is the desire for more and more, without an end to the wanting. While it's often associated with eating, gluttony can be anything in which overindulgence occurs to the detriment of self and one's relationship with others. Gaming, gambling, even exercise when it causes you to neglect family. Both of these sins focus the self over others, which at its diseased root is pride. The seven deadly sins will drive a dark plot, as the film Seven did, structuring the antagonist insanity. Yes, the insane have their own logic, a madness that is understood but not accepted by society. The seven heavenly virtues can do the same, but that's a progression, not the re regressive transgressions. The opposite of pride is humility, modesty, altruism, simplicity. Greed's opposite is charity, generosity, benevolence, sacrifice. The opposite of lust is chastity, purity, knowledge, cleanliness. The opposite of wrath or rage is patience, mercy, peace, fortitude. Jealousy's opposite is compassion, loyalty, integrity, sympathy. Laziness has its opposite persistence, diligence, ethics, industry. And gluttony's opposite is moderation, temperance, abstinence, and balance. Anything can become a series of stages for character development, positive or negative. Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People gives us one example. 1. Be proactive. That's the job of any writer, to seize the opportunity rather than let it slip by. 
Protagonists may not begin the story as active initiators, but they will end the story in that manner. Tony Stark in Iron Man didn't wait while the terrorist held him prisoner. He worked to escape. Antagonists lock down resources and discourage autonomy of others. Second, Covey says, begin with the end in mind. Writers need to know the outcome of the story when they begin, even though that outcome may change. We need to know our destination in pursuing our career as writer. Protagonists may not envision exactly where they will be at the end of the story. They do work toward a desired goal. Antagonists hide the results wanted, especially if those results are detrimental, like executives sending a troubleshooter to fix problems knowing that the manufacturing facility will close in the next two years. Third, put first things first. First job as a writer is to write. Second job, finish what you're writing. Don't mark it. Don't worry about ads. Don't tinker with video trailers. Write and finish. Protagonists can't scatter their efforts all over the place. They'll get nowhere. Antagonists keep everything in chaos and disrupt smooth processes with constant changes. Four, think win-win. Writers have to cut the toxic people and thoughts from their minds and associate with other writers with the same goals. Protagonists have to depend on allies to help them achieve the desired goal. Antagonists reward slackers and sycophants and ignore or punish those with creativity or initiative. Five, Seek first to understand, then to be understood. A cooperative work environment does not mean shared tasks, although that can be a result. Cooperation means listening and comprehending before feedback and action. These are the very things that protagonists find so important about good allies. Antagonistic leaders pretend to listen, but their minds are already made up. Thus, bad bosses and evil antagonists Give hope to employees and others, only to crush that hope, stomp on it, then pulverize it with their boot heels. Six, synergize. Defined as innovative problem solving that embraces alternatives and differences. Writers can't let readers figure out the story. Good protagonists are constantly spinning, turning things about, twisting ideas, looking for something that the antagonist won't anticipate. Antagonists maintain traditional processes and make the cost of change prohibitive with resources that are unattainable. 7. Sharpen the saw, which is to find ways to utilize people's strengths and effectiveness and passions. As a writer, you'll constantly learn and stretch and practice to hone your skills. Protagonists and their allies constantly seek others to add in, constantly look for better ways, better methods, Antagonists position people to highlight their weaknesses and place closed-minded people as supervisory gatekeepers. The Right Focus is currently in the series all about characters, from building and presenting a character to relationships, leadership styles, team roles, and special touches for characters. Avoid creating characters who are stereotypes. Reveal their public and private interiors. Focus on couples, mentors, 
enemies, and much, much more. The information comes from M.A. Lee's guidebook, Discovering Characters, part of the Discovering series on the writing craft. Link to the guidebooks are in the show notes. Thanks for listening to The Rock Focus, a podcast for writers at all levels, hosted by M.A. Lee from Writers Inc. Books, assisted by Renee Black and Edie Runes. Our focus is productivity, process, craft, and tools. Music is licensed through Audio Jungle called Background Music Loop. Its creator is Alexander Polishchuk, known on Audio Jungle as Plastic 3. The music comes in different iterations. Show notes and resource links for this and other episodes can be found at therightfocus.blogspot.com. Write to us at winkbooks at aol.com when you have questions, comments, and speculations. We will try to answer you as quickly as possible. By the way, we will not mind your email address. That's rude. If you find value in our content, share with your writing friends or write a review. We're small beans here without the advertising budget of the big peeps, and you can make a difference. And whatever occurs, right on.